You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Well, praise the Lord, enjoyed that. Boy, I've enjoyed the night tonight, haven't you? Enjoyed the day and enjoyed the choir and the men's quartet and the Bobby family, minus Dan, which is probably a blessing. I don't know. Is that, I'm, I'm just, I don't, is that true? No? He probably sings well, doesn't he? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I just know they didn't include him. I'm, that's all I noticed. I, I don't know. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Praise the Lord. Enjoyed that so very, very much. Time change coming up this Saturday. Man, they say you next hour sleep, but you know the time change is at 2 o'clock, and by the time you stay up at 2 o'clock to set it back, you still don't get much sleep, you know. And I don't know, I heard somebody say they're not going to turn the clock back this year. They don't want another hour of 2020. So there's some truth in that. I am staying up New Year's Eve this year. Not, not to see the new year come in. I just want to make sure this one gets out. You know, that's, that's what I mean. Somebody say amen right there. Yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. Well, it's good to be in, joy, in the Lord's house. And thank you, preacher, again for the privilege of being here. And I mean that I never take it for granted to stand behind somebody's pulpit. And appreciate the liberty that's here. And I've been at this long enough to know the liberty you have behind the pulpit is the direct relation of the walk with God, the man of God has that stands behind this pulpit week after week after week. And some places you go and you have liberty, and some places you go and you got to take liberty. But I like it when you come and you have liberty already. But that's a direct reflection on the walk that your pastor has. And y'all, I know you love your, your pastor, amen? I appreciate him. Stand with him. Don't stand behind him. I got all kinds of scars back here from people going to stand behind me over the years and uh, stand with him, amen, and labor together. And he, he brings a man of God in. He gives him a vision. And the man of God's responsible for the vision, and the people's responsible for the provision. He lays the dream God puts on his heart, and people ought to rally together. That's what we're here for, rally together and fulfill whatever God places upon his heart. And we appreciate your pastor and his dear wife. And her family as well. I mentioned this morning about the legacy that you have, but she also has a great legacy as well. I love your dad. love your family. was with your brother just a couple months ago, and your dad happened to be there. We went out to lunch together, and, and the Epleys happened to be there as well. So it was, it, was a, it was just a great, great time. We all went and ate together, and, uh, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you for everything. Thank you for the good place to stay. Boy, that's nice, very much so. And and uh, very generous, I've not looked at it, don't know, but very generous love offering. And uh, I know this, it's more than I deserve, whatever it is. And uh, I, I, I'll promise you, it's probably too much, but I'm not going to send any back, all right? <laughs> I'll let you know that up front, you know. And, uh, and says, but anyway, the Lord's good, isn't he? Amen. Mark chapter number two this evening, gospel of Mark chapter number two. I want to read a familiar portion of scripture and, and uh, notice something. You know, this book's amazing, isn't it? And I noticed something while reading through this a while back, and it's not like any other book, man. This thing just it, just, it just comes to life. Every time you read it, you see something you never saw before, and it's not like any other book. Now, my wife loves musicals. She loves Oklahoma and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and I usually mention that, and the ladies are out there going like this, and the men are going, oh, boy. And, and uh, <clears throat> she loves them, and she can watch them over and 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 over again, and, uh, and she'll laugh at the same part every time, and she'll cry at the same part every time, 
and she'll scream at the same part every time. I'll even tell her, you know, this is the scary part. I know it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. This scary part is coming up. I know it. I'm ready. I'm ready. It's, it's right here. I know it. And it'll happen. And she'll scream. I mean, every time. And, uh, uh, but, but me, when I've watched it, it's like we put it on again. It's like I've seen that already, uh, you know. Uh, but this book isn't that way. Man, every time you look in it, it's like, man, I never noticed that before. And something new jumps out. It's just an amazing book, isn't it? And it's not everything God knows. It's just everything you and I need to know to get by in life. Matter of fact, um, the Psalms, I remember when I first got saved, my mother-in-law gave me a little New Testament, first portion of Scripture I owned in my life. And I began to read that thing. And man, it would just, it would just come to life. But then that next June, my wife and I were working on getting our marriage back together. And that next June on Father's Day, she got me the greatest gift any man could ever have to fix problems within his home. She got me my first whole Bible. And I, I remember reading that, and I just couldn't get enough. But, but, but I come across the Psalms one day where it says, He telleth the number of the stars, He calleth them all by their names. I come across the book of John at the end of it. <clears throat> he said, I, I reckon if everything Jesus had done had been pinned down in books, I reckon this world could not contain the volumes of books that would be written. And I thought when I read that, come on, the world can't contain the books. I mean, that's got to be an exaggeration. And then I come across that verse in Psalms. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. And I thought, man, he, he's got a name for every star. And I began to wonder, I wonder how many books it'd take to hold the names of the stars. So I pulled down an encyclopedia and looked up how many stars the scientists <clears throat> believe there are. I don't think they really know. <clears throat> I mean, when I was a kid, Pluto was a planet. Now it's not a planet. It might be a planet again later. When I was a kid, we were afraid of the ice age coming down and then it's global warming. And they're even confused about what gender you are. And then we've got this crowd saying, trust the scientists, trust the scientists. And by the way, the Bible talks about oppositions of science falsely so-called. True science never contradicts with the Word of God. Science will catch up with the Bible one day. True science never contradicts the Word of God. And my Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. And by the way, we're not going to destroy this earth. It's going to last to the end of time. The Bible already tells us that. And uh, think, so, so, anyway, <clears throat> a lot going on in the days that we live. But, but he tells them the stars. I, I got down how many stars the scientists say there are. It's a big number times 10 with an exponent that was way out there. And I thought, I wonder how many books it would take to hold the names of the stars. And I pulled down a Webster's Unabridged Dictionary. It's got 500,000 words in it. And I figured out how many of these books it would take to hold. I don't know what you're thinking right now. you got too much time on your hands. Not just like math. I had four years of Algebra one, And so math has always been intriguing to me. And uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so I pulled it down and, and uh, found out how many books. Still a, just a huge, huge number. And then I figured the earth's surface. I thought, I wonder. And, I, and if you took those books like this and you put them on their narrow edge down like that, side by side, end to end, the books that would just hold the names of the stars would cover the entire earth's surface over 2,000 times. And you'd have books left over. That's just the names of the stars. No wonder John said if everything he did had been pinned down in books, I reckon this world could not contain the volumes of books that would have been written. That's not an exaggeration. And then to think I've got one book this size, everything in here must be of utmost importance. I love the Word of God, don't you? Amazing book. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. When you find it, I ask you to stand with us. If you're able to, if you're not able to stand, that's fine. You can remain seated. No one will think any different. But if you are able and willing to stand with us this evening, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days. talking about Jesus. And it was noised that he was in the house. 
Wouldn't that be a good thing to be noised? That the Lord's here? No, no. wouldn't that be a good thing to be noised? That the Lord is in the house? I love coming to the house of God, but I'm going to tell you something, I like it best when he's home. We get to meet with him, be noised that he's in the house. I prayed often, preacher, when pastored, that the people, when they pull in the parking lot, get out of the cars, they'd sense they're on holy ground. When they walk in the building, that they'd sense his presence. And man, it's a good thing to be noised abroad that he's in the house. Verse number two, and straightway many were gathered together and so much there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed where the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Father, again, thank you for the privilege we have to be gathered in your house tonight. Thank you, dear God, for the good songs we've heard sung and the songs we've been able to sing together. Thank you for the fellowship we've enjoyed, the good meal that we ate and fellowship we've enjoyed one with another. And Father, we pray now you touch us tonight. God, might we sense your warm breath upon our soul. Help us as we bring the message tonight. Give us liberty and clarity of thought. God, we pray you touch our voice, that it be strong to the message. And beyond that, we pray you touch our hearts. Father, do that work tonight only you can. Might every heart be attentive. Might the king's arrow strike home. God, might this be a life-changing night for somebody. We'll certainly give you the praise for what you do. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. You can be seated. We were talking earlier. We, of course, had lunch and a good meal. We appreciate that. The Bible's opening their home, the good meal that was provided there. And every time I sit down and eat a meal here, I'm reminded every meal that we eat is, is, is a better meal than probably 70% of the world will ever get to eat in their whole life. And we get that on a regular basis. And now we're spoiled people, aren't we? We're a blessed, we're a blessed people. And <clears throat> we ought not take that for granted. And I think often... You know, I've got the best of both worlds. I get to live in America while I'm here on earth, and I get to go to heaven when it's all said and done. I mean, what have we got to complain about? we got the best of both worlds. But we miss sometimes during this time. How many of you miss the potlucks going on and bringing the food? We don't call them potlucks in Illinois anymore since they legalized marijuana. We call them fellowship feast. Because uh, otherwise, you've got to watch out for the brown. Anyway, that's, that's another story. But we're thinking about having a live stream potluck. You say, well, how does that work? You go home and you fix your best meal. And you come drop it off at the church and the preacher and I will sit down and eat it and we'll live stream it to you as you watch it. And it sounds like a good deal to me. I, well, yeah, yeah, it'll work, it'll work, it'll work. But finding our reading, and if you've been church any length of time, you've heard probably several messages from this portion of Scripture. And Usually it deals with the four men and tearing up the roof and letting the man down. But, but notice while reading through this, I noticed the different people that were inside the house. 
Jesus established the church during his earthly ministry and and, and here's he's preaching for the first 150 years of church history. They met in houses or Solomon's porch or any open area that they could. And then they begin to build buildings to meet in. I'm glad we've got a church building to meet in tonight, aren't you? And a place to come and set aside for this purpose. And Jesus is in the house. He's preaching. And I, I noticed as I read through this that there's, there's different types of people inside the house on this day. And then I began to think about the churches I pastored over the years and and our whole ministry has been either starting churches or taking churches that are about to fold and try to get in and build them back up again. And it's, it's not what we planned to do. It's not what we started out. If you'd asked me, I'd have, I'd have never said that's the ministry God's given to us. But it's kind of what ended up. We'd, we'd take a place. And sometimes Mackinac, we stayed 12 years. We up in Rock Island for nine years. And we, we stayed different lengths of time, different places. But always when the church was doing well, we, we, we then would bring someone else in and God would move us somewhere else. And... Uh, before we went up to Quad Cities, the last place, we, it, it had got up about 600 people. And my wife said, you know, I'd like to do this again while we're young enough. And we took a little work up in the Quad Cities, had 30 people voted us in. Uh, eight of them left before we got there. Another nine left after we got there. And then two died. It couldn't be two that left that died, but two that stay that died. And, and, uh, and, and so, that's, and, and so uh, then we begin to wonder if we were young enough to do this uh, again. But it's kind of been our ministry. But I notice every church that I pastored, these same types of people have been in those churches. And then I think of over the years, we've had the privilege of going out and preaching a variety of, of places. We've kind of always done that over the years and, and now full-time at it. And I begin to think of all the different places we've gone and preached. And I begin to think, you know, every, every church seems to have these same types of people. And I want to deal with that tonight. And through this, I want us to look at this and, and then to ask the question, which, which of these types of people, which of these groups of people does God see me in? And which of these types of groups of people would God want to see me in? And so when we take a look, the first that we talk about, I want to deal with the subject, four types of people in the church house. And the first one's going to take a little while, so don't think when we go to the first one, say, good night, three more to go, we're going to be here all night and all and, uh, and such. But from what I understand, you're kind of used to that around here. I mean, I'm to understand, and uh, somebody said, somebody, what time you normally get out? And they said, oh, boy. And uh, we don't go by the clock, we go by the calendar. And uh, one man said when I was preaching, he got up, started walking. I said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to get a haircut. So why didn't you get one before you came to church? He said, I didn't need one when I came to church. Well, I guess been there a while. But which of these types would God like to see? There's four types of people in churches. The first is probably the most common that's preached from this portion of Scripture. They're the committed. Now, usually the committed is a small percentage of most churches. Matter of fact, at this place, the house is full, but there's only four that's listed really as being committed. Now, I'm talking about committed to him. We talked a little bit this morning about there ought to be a commitment, and Christ wants that out of us. He doesn't force it on us, but he wants us to be committed to him. It seems like a most of the preaching behind the pulpit is dealing with the subject of trying to get God's people to be committed to him, committed to the house of God, committed to the word of God, and committed in your walk with God. Most of our preaching kind of centers around that, trying to get people committed. Now, not like my mother-in-law. She says I ought to be committed, but I think she's talking of a whole different world there. But I'm talking about being committed to Christ. Let me give you several things. It's usually a small group here. It's only four. But with them, there's hearkening. You say, well, what do you mean? <clears throat> you know, they, they, they come to him bringing one. You know what that means? They're listening to what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, did he not? And there's a difference between hearkening and hearing. 
Matter of fact, take your Bible. If you will turn back to Genesis chapter number 49. If you've got your Bible with you tonight, say amen. amen. Isn't it a good book? Aren't you glad you got a Bible? <clears throat> Genesis chapter 49. Jacob is about to die and he calls his sons together and he's about to tell them the things that will befall them and blessings upon them. And verse number one of Genesis 49. It says that Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which will befall you in the last days. Verse number two. Look at this verse. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel, your father. There's a difference between hearing and hearkening. Matter of fact, the words hear and hearken are found together in 20 verses in the Word of God. The word hear means to be attentive, it means to be listening. And certainly when we come to the house of God, we ought to be attentive. We ought to listen as the man of God gets up and opens the word of God and preaches to us. But the word hearkening goes beyond that. It means to broaden the ear with the hand. And it's written in the context of listening for the purpose of obeying. When the man of God gets up and preaches, I don't just want to hear what he's saying. I want to apply it to my life. And those that hearken are that way, they come to the house of God, not just listen to what's being said and say, boy, that was a good message, preacher. And I'm telling you, boy, that was good, and I agreed with that. That was good. That was right down the line. That was Bible. Not just for the purpose of listening, but listening for the purpose of applying it to my life. I want to be a better husband, a better daddy, and a better Christian, a better church member. I want to be a better preacher. I come to the house of God, and I want to hearken. I want to apply whatever I learn in the house of God. That's hearkening. And Jesus is talking about he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And they're not just hearing it. But they're listening for the purpose of applying it. They've gone out and got somebody and brought them in. Within there is hearkening. Matter of fact, Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11 says this. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Did you know if you come to the house of God and it's not for the purpose of applying what you learn, it won't be long, you'll quit listening. You might take up the place in the pew. You might be here faithfully, but it's just a habit. It's just a routine and not a relationship. And you'll start listening. But with a, with a committed crowd, man, they're listening. The preacher might say just something that he's done, and man, they're on it. Why? Because they're listening for the purpose of applying what they hear. Could I say something else? With them, there is harmony. They're able to work together. The Bible says it was one that was born of four. Now, I've always kind of pictured it this way. I, I don't know. Correct me if you think it's different, but I see the man in the bed, and he's, he's carried before. I kind of always pictured one man on each corner of the bed. Is that the way you pictured it? I mean, I don't see all four in one corner just dragging him down the road. I mean, I, I just kind of pictured one on each corner. And I, I don't think they fought over who got what corner. They just found what spot was empty and got in. With them, there's harmony. The committed people are able to work together. I mean, you get a job and you get them together. It doesn't matter who does what. They'll just find where the void is and they'll get in and they're able to work together. With them, there's harmony. And they weren't saying, hey, that's my corner. I always get that corner. I'd gone to church here a while back, preacher, and sat on this side over here about the second or third row and was there early kind of looking over my notes. And this elderly lady, this has been years ago, elderly lady, she's probably 50, 55. She's out there. I mean, at that time, that was elderly. It's not so old anymore. <clears throat> but she came up next to me and standing there, and I thought she was going to say something like, Brother Gibson, good to have you here today. And so I, I looked up and said, How you doing, sis? And she said, You're in my seat. 
So I got up and moved. I said, well, we can fix that. And I found when it was all said and done, it was quite a few other seats that could have been sat in, maybe because a visitor come and sat in her seat. We pulled in a parking lot one time, pulled a car in the parking lot, and a woman rolled down her window. That's my parking spot. Doesn't know us from anybody. And I'm thinking, man, welcome to church. But with a committed crowd, there's harmony. If, if you come in and somebody's sitting in your seat, hey, that's good. There's a vision there. We just go sit somewhere else. Matter of fact, I'll tell you how to drive your preacher crazy. Everybody swap seats next Sunday. He's used to seeing you in different places. I'm telling you, he'll go bananas. He'll be trying to preach and look over here, and you're not here. And he'll be, I mean, it'll drive him batty. I'm telling you. I mean, he's halfway there, but this will get him the rest of the way there. And, uh, but, 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 but there's harmony. They're able to work together. If you find some committed people, preacher, and you say, here's what we like to see done, and you know they're able to work together. They'll just find where, where they're needed, where the void is, and they'll get in and do whatever needs to be done. Sure. But I say this for the committed people, with them there's humility. You notice not one of their names is mentioned. I know there's a song out that says supposing it could be these, but none of their names are mentioned. You know something about the committed people? They don't need their name mentioned. Matter of fact, if you do get up, preacher, say, well, I just want to thank brother so-and-so. I want to thank sister so-and-so. They'll put their head down and start shaking it, and they'll run to you right after service and say, preacher, I wish you wouldn't do that. That's not why we do that. You don't have to, you don't have to get up there and recognize us. That's not why we, with them there's humility. I had a guy one time in the church, a preacher, that, I mean, he picked up a piece of paper out in the parking lot, and he brought it in and threw it in the garbage, and he come right up to me and said, preacher, by the way, there's a piece of paper out there on the ground in the parking lot, and I picked it up and brought it in, I, I threw it in the garbage can. And if I didn't get behind the pulpit and say, oh, by the way, brother so-and-so, would you stand up over here, brother so-and-so, well, coming in this morning, noticed a piece of paper in the parking lot, and he picked it up and brought it in and put it in the garbage can. Could we all stand and give him a round of applause? By the way, we've got a plaque for you today, brother, the parking lot paper picker-upper, and we want to present that to you. And we don't mention somebody's name. Man, they get upset. It's not that way with the committed people. With them, there's humility. They're not trying to get recognition. They just see something needs done, and they want to get it done for the cause of Christ. Sure. Can I tell you something else with the committed people? With them, there is heart. They're not easily discouraged. They get this man, they carry him, they come to the door. And they can't get in because of the press. That's where most Baptists would say, well, we tried. But with the committed people, they're going to find a way to get it done. What I like about the committed people I pastored over the years, when I would say, here's what I'd like to see, I never had to worry about it again. They're never going to come back with excuses, but always with results. They come to the door and they can't get in because of the press and they're kind of standing there, and they're not easy to scourge. They're willing to be go, go, on the, be, go beyond the second mile. Yeah. I can picture them there, and for sake of illustration, I, I, I see maybe, maybe Nathan and, and, and Caleb and, and Dan standing there. We need a fourth one, Nathaniel, 16-year-old Nathaniel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk good about him since he's got control over my volume tonight. And, uh, and, and, that, and these are the four, and he sounds like he's pretty committed to me. I mean, all that he's involved in and doing as a young, isn't that a blessing? As a young man, God's got his heart like that. And uh, I see these four, and they, they, they brought this man, they've carried him, and, and, and I kind of I picture maybe Caleb saying, man, I don't know, we've come to the press, what are we 
we're going to do here? And uh, I, I picture maybe Nathan saying, I, well, we could stand and sing a song, but that won't get him to Jesus. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and Dan, he said, well, I'll feed him. And uh, anyway, and so they're all together. And, and I said, what are we going to do? And now I picture Nathaniel, 16-year-old Nathaniel, maybe saying, hey, guys, I know I'm the youngest in the group, and I, I'm probably new, but, but, but what if, now, now hear me out. Don't write me off. Hear me out. What if, now, now, no, wait, don't, don't, don't write me off. Here, here what I got. What if we were to, now, now, now listen, what if we were to get him up on the roof and find where Jesus was at and tear up the roof and let him down? I, I know it sounds crazy, but, but what, if, what if, and I can, picture, I can picture Nathan saying, you know, Nathaniel, that is crazy. But this is Victory Baptist Church, Road Oak Rapids, Virginia, and crazy is what we do around here. Let's do it. And then they, they get him up. And I mean, they've got to find where Jesus is at. They're walking around. I think he's over here. They tear it up and let no, no. No, they're going to find a way to get the job done with the committed people. There's heart. They're going to get the job done. Can I say something else about the committed people with them? There's honoring. You say, what do you mean? Look at verse number five. When Jesus saw their faith. He said to the sick palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. It didn't say when he saw the faith of the sick man, but when he saw the faith of these committed people. Matter of fact, look down in verse number 12, or verse 11, I said, he rise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thy house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it in this fashion. God looked down and saw these four that were committed, and when he saw their faith, he said, I think I'm going to have to move here. I'm going to have to do something. Matter of fact, the Bible tells me, he picked up his bed and walked, he immediately wrote, took bed, went forth from all, insomuch that they were all amazed. When's the last time you come to the house of God and left amazed? No, no, wouldn't it be good to come to church and leave amazed? I mean, just leave saying, that was amazing. Matter of fact, to the point that he said, they never saw it on this fashion. Let me put that in Arkansas terms. We ain't never seen nothing like that before. Wouldn't it be good to come to church and leave amazed and say, man, I've never seen anything like that before. Man, I can't wait to get back. They were all amazed and glorified God. Guess who got the glory in it all? No, no, they didn't glorify the four men. They glorified God. And it was done in such a fashion that everybody knew this is amazing. Look what God did. And they were all amazed. They glorified God. And they left saying, we've never seen anything like that before. Wouldn't it be good to have church that way? Well, we took that, that church in Mackinac. It had, it had one member when she, we took it. She was 81 years of age. I'd preached revival there several years before with one of the other pastors. In fact, preached for a week and ended up going three weeks. Had over 200 first-time visitors and a little town of 1,500 people. God just blessed. The preacher, years later, had a car accident. It was on some medication, and it, it affected him. And instead of the people rallying around their pastor, like he had done for them year after year after year, the youth pastor went around and got a petition together to get rid of the pastor. The pastor heard about it and got up and resigned. He didn't want to cause any problems in the church, and he just resigned. They find out that the bylaws stated that he was able to stay in the parsonage for 60 days, and so they 
voted out the bylaws and had him evicted out of the parsonage. The police came and set all his belongings out on the road. Youth pastor had himself voted in as pastor. I'm going to tell you something. There is a God in heaven, and he's not going to bless things like that. Little by little, the church dwindled down until it was just that youth man and his 81-year-old lady, and he threw her the keys and said, have fun. She kept calling me and said, I know you're supposed to be here. I kept saying, I know I'm not. But preacher, I couldn't get away from it. I really didn't see potential. At the time of 1500, the last several weeks in that church, the police were in the services because it was fist fights. It would break out. Little time of 1500, everybody in town knows about it. But I couldn't get away from it. I didn't see potential, but just felt like it was my place. And we went, and that widow woman and one other widow woman in the community would go up to the bank and pay the interest on the note so they didn't lose that building. We come in, the first thing we did was invite back the old pastor and his family. We got in touch with people that loved them, and we had a service and let people give testimony about them. Then we publicly apologized to them for what the church had done. Somebody said, well, you don't understand what they did. We're not going to answer for what they did. We're going to answer for what we did. And we publicly apologized. That completely changed the spirit of things. God began to move. God began to bless. We went through several building programs, bought 47 acres, had a camp out there. and We, we, had, a, we had an average 250 drive-in crowd in a town of, of 1,500 people. But I'm telling you, God would come in that. There, there were services. My wife's brother was a song leader. He's one of those organized people I know. I can organize things, but I'm not an organized person. I'm not a detail man. So I could do one of two things, either learn to be organized or surround myself with organized people. I chose plan B. He's one, he's one of the most organized, he could organize the fun out of anything. What do you do on Saturday on June 6th? Well, at 2.45, we're going to start painting the basement floor, and then we'll be done at 4.53. And we had an order of service that was laid out. But as organized as he was, he allowed me to mess it up, or he allowed God to mess it up. Change things, however. And there were times we'd be in church for three hours. I mean, people weeping, and people coming to the altar, and or God just, and people would leave saying, boy, that was just, that was amazing, that was amazing, that was amazing. There's time, well, I remember one time, well, God was really moving. Somebody gave testimony, people are weeping, things are happening. I look over, he's not here, and I look back, he's in the choir loft. I said, what are you doing back there? He said, I'm just getting out of the way. I said, I think I'll join you. Went back, sat, and watched. And we leave saying, that was amazing. Did you see what God did? Now, if God would do that for just four committed people, imagine what he would do at Victory Baptist Church if we had a house full of committed people. Would you not agree with me this is where God wants all of us to be is committed? And when I talk about committed, right off the bat, the preacher and sister preacher, right, right, I say it off with sister preacher, had a lady down in Texas, she says, I like that. I'm going to get a t-shirt that says sister preacher on it. Right away, they probably in their mind thought, that's brother so-and-so, that's sister so-and-so. Wouldn't it be good if your, your name could have come to mine? There's the committed there's a second group of people, and look down with me if you would, and verse number six, but 
There were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? Could I say also there's the critics. And every place there, and the Bible said they're just sitting there. They're not doing They're just sitting there and reasoning their hearts, just kind of watching over thing and judging everything. Who? Why? Whose idea was that? Why does the preacher do this? Who? And, and they just question everything and get to where we criticize. Now, the truth is, we're all made of flesh. And sometimes somebody might say something and we find ourselves saying, before long, we find ourselves being critical. And the truth is, we don't even like it ourselves when we get that way. And sometimes we find ourselves that way and we think, you know, I don't even know how I got here and I don't even like it myself that I become critical. I know God doesn't like it. But there's the critics. I'll tell you something about the critics. They halted growth. We find the first few verses, verse 2, Jesus is preaching the word. But verse 8, when they come on the scene, all that stops. He now has to deal with them. One of the definitions of scorner in the Old Testament is arsonist. They just go around and start little fires. And the preacher's got to spend all his time running around putting out this fire, putting out that fire, putting out this fire, putting out that fire. When he ought to be able to just be getting the word of God to get something to feed the people of God. But they halted growth. You say, well, preacher, I might thank it, but I've never said anything. They didn't either. They're just reasoning in their hearts. But there's a God in heaven that sees the attitude that we have. And it can halt growth. It can halt spiritual growth in the life of people. It can halt numerical growth in a church. Can I tell you something else about the critics? They hindered grace. In verse number five, Jesus said, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. He should have picked up his bed and walked right there. But he didn't until verse number 11. They hindered grace. What God should have done was hindered until all that was taken care of. I wonder how many times people come in the house of God and preacher will get up, preacher, pour his heart out, and they'll raise their hand and admit that they're lost. They're lost, they're going to hell. And they give the invitation and they don't budge. I wonder how many times that maybe the grace of God that should have saved their soul has been hindered because of attitudes we might have on the inside that, that we don't even say it, but it's there and God sees it. And the Holy Spirit of God is the most sensitive person in this room. You say, preacher, maybe it'd be better if I didn't come to church. No, it'd be best just for us to get our hearts right and say, dear God, I don't even know how I got here, but I found myself being critical. Please forgive me. This isn't where I want to be. I want to be more committed and involved in your work. Help me to get my heart right. Can I say something else about the critics? They're handled by God. Verse 8, immediately when Jesus perceived in the spirit that they so reasoned with themselves, why reason these things in your hearts? It's like he's going to say to you, why do you do this? Man, the word of God is preaching. God, a good man of God. God is doing things. Why would you do this? We don't like to find ourselves in this group, but too often we do. <laughs> I remember, preacher, we, my wife and I was, was youth pastor at church for a while there in Danvers. <clears throat> they brought in a new youth man. In fact, it was Brother Tim Gibbett. 
I don't remember him or not. He's up at Rock Island, or Rock Island. And so, preacher talked about it would be best if we went to church down the road, still good ties, come back and preach for them and everything else, but just to make it easier on the new youth members there. That's not always necessary, but little town, 900 people. So we went down the road. Our first day there, they were voting in a, a co-pastor. And uh, the vote come in, it was like 347 or 345, whatever it was, to seven. Yeses and seven no's. There was a family in the church. We were there and invited us over to the house afterwards. I thought, this is nice, man. First time here. Somebody's inviting us over to eat. This is great. We're going to love it here. Went to their house. And when we sat down, the lady said, you know, there were seven people that voted no. And seven is God's perfect number. Maybe it's God's perfect will he not be here. My wife thought she was joking. My wife's just down to earth. And she said, <laughs> that's stupid. <laughs> well, it is. And then they got in. He won't let my husband teach a class. He won't let them. I'm thinking, duh. And went on and on and on and complained about the church and the preacher and it got time to go to church that evening, and the teenage daughter said, I don't want to go to church. And the man picked up a plate and threw it across the room. First time I'd seen a flying saucer in my life. <laughs> threw it across the room, and he said, see, my family doesn't even want to go to church. So I said, sit down. I called him by name. I said, you know, from the time we've been here, you've done nothing but put down your pastor and put down your church. That's why your family doesn't want to go. And let me go one further. As soon as we get there, I'm going to the preacher. And I'm telling him everything you said to me. And I did. Preacher preached that night, and people come to the altar. That couple come to the altar, and he got down and stood next to him with a microphone. They got up. He said, what'd you come for? They said, oh, just some things to get right. He said, you got a problem with gossip too, don't you? You know, nobody ever come to us anymore. I'm just convinced garbage can ears is just as bad as a garbage can mouth. I'm not a dumpster. Don't come dump all the garbage on me. No, they don't come to you because you're wise. They come to you because you're a dumpster. You allow all that to be. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. Yeah. They're handled by God. I don't know what he has in store. I, I know if you offend a little one, it's better to have a millstone tied about your neck and cast into the sea than to face what you're going to face. I wonder what he thinks of those that halt growth and hinder grace by critical spirits. There's a third group. That's the crowds. There are many gathered together. I mean, they could not come down him for the press. These are people that you're not committed, but you're not critical either. Part of the crowd. Can I say something about the crowd? You're here. And that's a good thing. We're glad that you're here. Matter of fact, we're thankful for everybody that comes in those doors that sits and listens to the Word of God being preached. We're glad that you're here. Can I say a second thing about you? You're hopefuls. What do you mean? Every time the man of God gets up and preaches the Word of God, his prayer is that the Word of God will get a hold of your heart and bring you a little closer to Christ. Cause you to be a little more committed. That's his desire. You'd be a, a more committed Christian, that your marriage be stronger, that your home be stronger. Your preacher loves you and he prays for you and he preaches that the word of God might have an impact on your life and you are the hopefuls. He's longing to see God get a hold of your heart. 
Can I say something else? You're also hunted. You say, what do you mean? The critics aren't going to go to the committed people to complain. They're going to go to the crowd. So you have an opportunity to either get involved with them or get involved with the committed people. I choose plan B. Yeah. You're hopefuls. Now, every one of us are in one of those three groups. You're either committed, critical, or, or you're here, not really committed, not really critical, part of the crowd. Every one of us is one of those three. There's a fourth group. And you can be in one of the first three and still be in this fourth group. You might be amongst the committed people and be in this fourth group. And that's just the crippled. That's somebody that's needing something from God. You can be amongst the committed crowd tonight. You might be involved, involved deep, but, but yet you're needing something from God tonight. You might find yourself critical. When we find ourselves there, like I said, we're all flesh. When we find ourselves there, we definitely need something from God. You might be amongst the crowd. I mean, you come, you come, you come faithful maybe, and then you're not really committed, but you're not critical, but you're here, and it might be that you're needing something from God tonight. Can I say something about the crippled? He was hurting. This man had palsy, which is a type of paralysis. And though he couldn't move, the nerve endings and all, there's still a lot of pain involved. You might not be able to see. Sometimes you can look and think, man, he's paralyzed. He's got to be hurting. Sometimes the pain on the inside is a lot more than the pain on the outside. Sometimes what we battle maybe mentally is a lot, lot worse than what we battle physically. Job made the statement, my stroke is heavier than my complaint in Job chapter 23. What Job is saying is what I'm feeling on the inside is a lot more than what I'm letting know on the outside. He was hurting. A couple years ago, it was March two years ago, we were in Duncan, Oklahoma. We got a phone call that our 29-year-old son had a stroke. He's married, has three little girls, had a stroke, and he couldn't move the left side of his body. So we started loading up our stuff, and we're going we're to head home. Our son called me from the hospital. He said, Dad, do not come home. Do not come home, Dad. I said, your son, we're coming home. No, 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 Dad. You stay there and you preach. They need to hear you preach, Dad. You stay there and you preach. I said, son, we're coming home. No, Dad, do not come home. Then more or less he said, the damage is done. They're running some tests. Stay there and preach till we see what the tests have to say. We did. One month and one day later, in Stratford, Missouri, it's my son's cell phone calls, and I answer it. As soon as I answered, I hear sirens going off in the background. I answered, and the man introduced himself. He's an EMT in the ambulance. He said, we've got your son here. Mr. Gibson said, yes, sir. He said, we've got your son here in the ambulance. He's had another stroke. 
So this is odd, but this one has affected the right side of his body. Said he's unresponsive right now. We're going down to such and such high school. We've got a helicopter meeting us. We're going to life flight him to Peoria, Illinois. So we got in the car. We headed back. He'd walk around with a walker and he'd often fall. Need help getting up. Then on top of all this, he got some kind of infection and they had to pull every one of his top teeth. 29 years old, six foot five. Good-looking young man. Now he walks funny, he talks funny, and he looks funny. He was taking therapy, and the therapist had made the statement to him, said, no, you're, you're sure handling this well for a young man. He said, well, it makes a difference when you know the Lord. And he handed her a track. She said, well, you're not the pastor there, are you? Because I don't mean this wrong. It would take you three hours to preach a message. He said, no, my dad is the pastor, but you might still be there for three hours. <laughs> and outwardly, you can see the grace of God, but I promise you, as a 29-year-old man, he was hurting a lot more on the inside than what was showing on the outside. You might be here tonight no one might know on the inside just how much you're hurting. Can I say something else about the crippled man? He was helpless. He was unable to walk right. He was unable to help himself. He had palsy, a paralysis, and he's unable to help himself. In his case, I believe it was because of sin, because Jesus said in verse 5, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And oftentimes we find ourselves in a mess because of sin. Matter of fact, the G, the, the one man brought his son to Jesus says, he hath a spirit. And the next verse says, whithersoever he, the spirit, taketh him. It started off, the boy had the spirit, ended up the spirit had the boy. And sin is that way. It starts off, you've got the sin before you know it. The sin has you, and it's got control of you, and it's consumed you, and you can't walk right, and you can't help yourself. It may not be because of sin. It may be circumstances out of your control. It may be your marriage. It may be your children. But he was helpless. Can I say something else about him? He was hungry. You say, what do you mean? I don't think those four guys just busted in the door. Nathaniel probably wanted to, but the other three calmed him down. I don't think they just busted in the door and picked the guy up and walked. I think there was a conversation took place, don't you? Maybe they walked in and said, you know, your condition here, I know somebody that can help you. Amen. And he was hungry enough to say, take me. Amen. And they brought him. Could I say something else about him? He was also humbled. When they come to the door and they couldn't get in and they come up with a wild idea, let's get him up on the roof. Again, I don't think they just, I, I think they turned to him and said, now, now here's, here's our plan. We're going to get you up on the roof, and we're going to tear up the roof, and we're going to let you down to Jesus. And I think he got to the place, he was humble enough that he said, whatever it takes, I don't want to leave the same way I came. Whatever it takes, I need some help. Whatever it takes, I'm tired of the pain. Whatever it takes, he was humble. And could I say something else about him? He was helped. For the first time 
maybe in his life, but certainly in a long time, he's able to get up and walk on his own. Can I say this tonight? You'll never get help till you're hungry enough and humble enough to be willing to say whatever it takes. Even if it means you've got to have men bring you to him. Even if it means, preacher, I can't do this on my own. But I, 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 I'm tired. I don't want to be this way anymore. I need some help. You can be amongst the committed crowd tonight and be crippled. You're here needing something from God. And you'll never get it until you're hungry enough and humble enough to say whatever it takes. Which group does God see you in tonight? Which group do you think y'all... Wouldn't it be good tonight if everybody in here just said, Lord, I want to be a little more committed. I want to be a little more committed to the ministry here, a little more committed to Christ. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't that be a good thing? Hard telling what God would do at Victory Baptist Church, Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, with a house full of... I mean, if, I mean, if it was amazing out of four, imagine what God would do in this place. Wouldn't it be good to look down, I mean, just, just a little in the future and say, wow, I can't believe what God did. Even in the midst of all the craziness going on on the outside, it's because there's some committed people on the inside. If you find yourself critical tonight, this would be a good time to say, dear God, I don't even know how I got here myself. and I don't even like it. I know you don't. And I don't want to halt growth. I don't want to hinder grace. Dear God, forgive me. And when, and when words start coming, or things start coming, help me to stop it and say, Holy Spirit, that's, that's not who I want to be. Help me be more committed and pray for my preacher and pray for the ministries. If you're like a crippled man tonight, you might come service after service knowing you've got a need hanging on. I can, I can handle this, I can handle this, but it's not. If you're hungry enough and humble enough to say whatever it takes, I just, I want to leave here different than I came in. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.